This is my contribution to the newly released book, The Mohawk Warrior Society, a handbook on sovereignty and survival. I'm reading directly from the book, so please bear with me. I am a warrior. I am not the Hollywood version or the kind slapped on the side of a football helmet. I'm not something man devolves into, rather something we aspire to. I am not a soldier in an army of mindless pawns. I don't fight to defeat an enemy. In fact, I hardly fight at all. I have never killed a man, although I've carried weapons for that purpose. I am a warrior not by anyone else's definition, other than my own. My purpose is not war, it's protection. But I protect both by nurturing and defending. And that applies to my loved ones, the people closest to me, and the ones we describe as those whose faces are still on the ground, the future generations. I am a warrior, not a holy man or warrior in spirit, nor, nor do I possess a warrior spirit. I do not live my life to fulfill some mythological warrior culture. I don't pray for peace. I work to maintain balance and harmony, whether it's in my family, community, or with complete strangers. I say all this because the word warrior is so abused. I know it's not ours. It's like so many other words that have been applied to us. Around 50 years ago, Louis Hall told a group of young men who began to pick up our traditional songs that they didn't need permission to do so, nor did they need permission to start playing a bigger role in defending their community and advancing our sovereignty. He told them that they had more than the right to do so. They had an obligation. Not many used the word Ruddy Scott back then. It was generally used to describe the men. And Louis taught many about the importance of Ruddy Scott and its deeper meaning. Its usage grew, and some wondered how it came to mean the men. I heard it said that it was the men without titles. It wasn't specifically fighting men, although some claimed it literally meant he who carries the burden of peace. Some say it means he carries a gun. And still others said it means he carries a bundle. What was told to me by the ones I trust most in the etymology of our words was that it means he carries his medicine bag not a doctor's bag, but our own pouch with our own medicine, our umbilical cord that connects us to our mother, the soil from our birthplace that connects us to the mother of all of us, some tobacco, and other objects and medicines that may only relate or have meaning to those who own the bag. That bag is a reminder of the responsibility of men to protect our women and children and to know at all times that we are to honor motherhood and what sustains us. It reminds us who we are and where we come from. At some point, as our men began to use 
and to push the envelope of our sovereignty, British Scotland gained only one meaning, a meaning taken from the English language, warrior. I know it's certainly nowhere near the best definition, but it has its usefulness. And it is a word I will never run away from. Louis Hall believed in symbols. He was an artist and a teacher when I came to know him. His artwork told stories, and he certainly didn't mind incorporating some text in his artwork, so there could be no misinterpretation. He thought we needed a flag, a flag that all Ongwe Ongwe could hold and fly as a symbol of our unity. The unity flag he created would, be, would become the most iconic image of native unity and resistance in the world. I have purchased over a hundred of these flags over the years, sending them all over Turtle Island whenever and wherever native people were standing up for themselves and the land. Some were sent beyond our homelands into lands where people were in the same fight we were in. I sent a dozen to the Ganaka Maoli in Hawaii in solidarity with their fight for their sacred mountain, Mauna Kea, and against the American military presence there. Louis' warrior handbook was a re required reading for the folks I hung around with. We aspired to do great things, defend and promote sovereignty, regain lost lands, and reestablish life under the Guyana de Goa, the path reestablished when the people of our regions stopped fighting among themselves and reunited. Many of those battles were against our own people, those who were far more content with the personal comfort they found within the systems that had killed and oppressed our people for centuries than with what they found in our traditional ways. Too many took the attitude, if you can't beat them, join them, having never attempted to fight them. Others got educated and thought they could work the system more often for personal gain than for advancement of our people. This was the prevailing philosophy of tribal councils whose strength and authority were established by Canada and the United States, not by those they claimed to lead or represent. Who were these warriors living by the principles laid out in that handbook and having the audacity to stand up in the face of genocide? Were they desperate individuals with few options in life, little hope for the future? No. While I may not be typical, I certainly wasn't atypical. I was among many who were articulate, thoughtful, and hardworking. I graduated at the top of my high school class and went off to college. As the son of a high steel worker, well-liked and well-read, I was expected to be a professional, something. But what is a warrior? The men I associated with were ironworkers, veterans, lacrosse players, artists, teachers, craftsmen. They were tough, smart, and passionate. None were desperate or without hope. Many came from Christian families, but cast that off along with many other colonial influences on our culture.
They were family men with wives and children who struggled to balance the responsibilities of being Rudy Skarlaget. In an age where the paychecks that supported your family carried the imprints of the countries you fought on their currency. In order to make a living, some like myself were ripped from their families, not unlike the children ripped from their parents and shipped off to the residential schools. This time, it was fathers ripped from their wives and children who depended on them. We fought law enforcement, local and federal. We stood up to armies, the FBI, and the Bureau of Indian Affairs. In the case of the latter, we also fought their puppets who lived among us. I am Ganyagaga, what most people know as the Mohawks. But my wife and three children are Onyota'aga, or Oneida. As with many Native communities, corrupt men seeking money and power knew that path led through the Bureau of Indian Affairs and the false claims of authority it allows for. As a warrior, I was proud to take a stand for my family and the Onyota'aga people. Even though standing up to the power of the United States has a cost. Mine was a sham federal trial and a two-year prison sentence. There's a legacy that was born out of the redevelopment of the warrior society. And we're seeing it every day. There's real solidarity. We're seeing a lot more people who are willing to resist the policies of assimilation and land control. People try to associate that with AIM. But I don't think AIM was nearly as effective as a real sovereignty movement that came with the warrior society. They were parallel movements in many ways. But for us, the idea of the warrior society wasn't about creating a movement. It was about revitalizing our culture. It was about asserting the importance of our land, not just our people, and really pushing back against the dominant culture at our doorstep. When you are young, looking at what your previous generations did or didn't do, you can build a certain amount of resentment because you can feel like the folks before you didn't do enough. You're grateful that your language and some elements of your culture continue. But our young people who are now involved in resistance they have something to look back on. They got to see what my generation and the folks older than me were involved in. And it's inspirational. Even though many may have been too young to experience our taking land back at Ganyange or Oka, they know what took place there. What we're seeing now is a generation that doesn't feel like they are pioneers of resistance. They are taking it to the next level and hopefully taking it beyond where we took it. I knew Louis Hall and I know the amount of work that went into the warrior handbook and all the newsletters that he was banging out on a regular basis. Louis made us think critically in ways that nobody had before. Louis Hall was unique for the generation he represented. 
even those considered iconic individuals and native voices, there was nobody doing what Louis Hall did. Some of those names like Orrin Lyons and Vine Deloria, their bigger message still had too much capitulation for my liking. And unfortunately, their actions never met their words. Louis Hall wasn't just a mouthpiece. He was physically engaged. Louis Hall led me to a place and prepared me to experience things to become knowledgeable. I was privileged to know him and those who knew him better than I, and I continue to learn from the people he influenced, mostly from those closest to him. This is the warrior I am.